deep man wkcr fm new york wkcr hd wkcr.org 89.9 fm here in nyc or maybe you're listening to the deep focus podcast the show's called deep focus and you can find the podcast on that electronic device don't look at that now don't look at that now put it down pick it up in three hours and you're going to want to program Deep focus. You're going to want to subscribe. But you got us live with you right now. I'm Mitch Goldman. I'm the host of the show. And I'm super excited to have here in the studio with me, Peter Apfelbaum. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Mitch. It's great to be back here. Now, you know how we play the game because you and I have been in it together the last few days. Although this is your first time here. First of many, I hope. Yeah. And um, First time on this show. On this show. Seems like say. every time I come here, I'm doing something different. That's how we, we like it that, that way. <laughs> we like to keep it that way. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I ask you, our guest, to choose a topic. And then I have to find live unreleased recordings of whatever topic you pick. And that's what we did. And we had a really fun, exciting, wide-ranging conversation about music and what we might want to focus on. And uh, we found all kinds of cool stuff, but we landed on one particular thing. Yeah, so going alphabetically (laughs) (laughs) and thinking of musicians who um, have had a a big impact on me, um, I thought of Andrew Hill, and Mitch was game for that. And listeners out there will probably be familiar with him, although Andrew... uh, Sadly, never got to be a household name, but he's definitely known and loved among musicians and occupies a special place in the music. Um, I got to know him a little bit uh, in in the mid-70s when I was a teenager. Stephen Bernstein, my old friend who I grew up with in the Bay Area, um, and I went to a jazz workshop at Bennington College in Vermont. And it only happened one year. It was sort of like what uh, we would experience at Creative Music Studio, which is another subject and where we would go the following year, and which to this day still puts on workshops and performances. But that was one that was organized in the summer of 76 by Jimmy Owens, the trumpet player and flugelhorn player, who's always been a a great uh, instigator in the world of jazz education. And he put together this one-time-only workshop at Bennington. Stephen and I were the youngest. I guess I was 15. Stephen would have been 14. Um, And we got to meet and study with um, Andrew Hill, Billy Cobham, um, Larry Young. Wow. um, Some of the the guys that were a, a little older, like Billy Mitchell, Ernie Wilkins. Roy Copeland. Um, so there was wow. a lot of history there. Beaver Harris uh, was a, was an idol of mine. Some of these people like Beaver and Larry Young and Andrew Hill, I knew from records. Like Stephen and I were just voracious eaters of music. Yeah. Uh, and we had, a, we had good friends who were adults, and luckily they would help us get into clubs or they'd uh, lend us records and things like that. So we were just eating it all up. But So I knew Andrew's music. Uh, or at least a good deal of it. And then... Um, he, of course, had had that fantastic run at Blue Note through the 60s. Yeah. Really earth-shaking stuff. I won't go into too much detail about but I'm sure they hit you hard. They did, absolutely. And that, that first one, I believe it's... Well, the first or second one that he did, Point of Departure. Yeah. 
Yeah, with um, Eric Dolphy and uh, Kenny Dorham, one of the few times those two were together, and a young Tony Williams and Richard Davis, who played bass with him for years. Um, it It's just a wonderful example of, um, as Roscoe Mitchell would later say, the saxophonist from the Art Ensemble of Chicago, an example of reasserting the role of the composer in mm-hmm. jazz. Yeah, And to this day, people often think of jazz as primarily an improvised art form, and much of it is, but the people that came along periodically to, um, to structure it and make compositions for improvisation, um, like Andrew, I think are really important because it, it just it sounds at once very com- compositional mm-hmm. and very organic. And ultimately, beyond all that technical stuff, it's just, for me, very powerful, m- moving music. Um, and so I... I I loved it. I have a lot more I could say about him, and I won't try to say it all at once. But I, it was lovely to get to meet him, and he was he was a wonderful person. He was very encouraging. I got to play some of his music with him uh, that summer on saxophone. And um, that was the only time I actually got to play with him, but I got to know him when he moved to California. He right. and his wife, Laverne, moved there, and they were living in a little town called Pittsburgh. Um, she played organ. And he would come to play occasionally at the Maybeck Recital Hall, uh-huh. which was a, had a piano series. And I played there and uh, saw him a couple times there. We kept in touch over the years, um, and he was just a wonderful uh, person, just amazingly creative, imaginative uh, musician. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well put, well put together, and and uh, personal reflections too. And I, I'm also I'm a great admirer you put me in mind of something i haven't listened to in a long time um that album from california with love oh yeah that solo record he didn't make a lot of those but that right. one was yeah two yeah. whole each side of the lp was a single piece really that's right beautiful that's right. beautiful record but um so yeah i went digging and uh the wkcr archives came through once again as they do and um, I was actually really pleasantly surprised to find these things. It's not a lot of live unreleased recordings of him that I know of. And I've looked before, and I didn't find these. So, you know, you got to go back and dig in the garden sometimes. Mm. This first piece that we're going to play, man, mm, 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 mm. it's a quintet recording from apparently it was a TV broadcast on WNET, which was in 13 public television here in New York City. I'm going to take a wild guess. It might have been their studios were, I think, at that time on uh, 57th Street and 9th Avenue, the building that later became the Hudson Hotel. Hmm. I could be wrong about that. I don't know. But um, they certainly were in there for a very long time. February 11th, 1971 is the date. And... Check out this band. It's Woody Shaw on trumpet, Carlos Garnett on tenor saxophone, Victor Sproles on bass, and Roy Haynes on the drums. And um, just hearing that, those names playing with Andrew Hill, anything come to mind? Or Yeah, well, first of all, it's, you know, I think it's, it's interesting to reflect on the fact that there's even any, uh, that there was even a TV broadcast um, of a group like this. Yeah. You know, in Germany, that wouldn't be so rare. I don't know how many listeners, probably some are aware of that, at least um, musicians are like me who go over there and we play. And, you know, and actually, sometimes it's hard to keep the TV cameras away from you. (laughs) (laughs) But Germany takes the music seriously, and so does Italy and Sweden. And, um, Denmark and France. And, Absolutely, yeah. and they have a they have a well established tradition of um, having really great uh, radio crews who um, build archives of stuff. And if you go to a place like Stockholm in Sweden, um, I was there once for a week with Don Cherry in the early nineties, and um, and we spent a week with these guys who are just on salary to record music. Yeah, and I was commissioned, and we spent a week working on it hanging out with them in the cafeteria yeah, and then doing a concert at the end. And then I don't even know if that was ever broadcast, but it was a piece I wrote for 
John Cherry, and they keep it in their archives. It probably was broadcast at some point, but um, this is an example. And Mitch, I'm sure you've had a lot of experience with finding something that you know came off the radio somewhere in Europe oh, or yeah. something. Yeah, and it's, a, lot, a lot of the source material for this show is exactly that. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised. Um, so they have the foundation for that, and I won't even go into the whole subject of how they culturally, in, I'm generalizing about European countries, but bar, by and large, they have much more of a cultural appreciation for music in general. Um, you know what? They do. Uh, I agree 100%. And what I've been told is that part of the reason for that is that they have a government policy, broadcasters, because they were the airwaves were a public accommodation, they were required to have cultural programming, and they included American music, jazz, among that. Right. So, and as a result of that, there was a very large educated audience for it. And so it, it kind of, they fed each other. And, you know, we've never really had that here, not like they have there. Right. That's a great point. Like Willis Conover, right? Yeah. The yeah. voice of jazz. And that was kind of a diplomatic thing. And then we had the State Department tours, which are still going on to some extent. But there was, there's been this effort to kind of spread the music um even though ironically here at home it's <laughs> yeah. it's still um under underrepresented but just reflecting on this um yeah woody shaw um such a great trumpet player um to me he was kind of like the eric dolphy of the trumpet like mm. these were guys that really like found a way to make their own language you know, they were coming out of the people before them, of course, but they they found a way to, to, to work on certain intervals and, and just certain very unique ways of approaching the music. Um, and Carlos Garnett, I think maybe he's still alive. I'm not sure. I think he may be still around. He's from the island somewhere. I forget exactly. Great player. And Ray Haynes, of course, is still with us. I think he's, what? Graham, are you out there? <laughs> yeah, Graham is out there. Graham is out there. As a matter of fact, I just talked to Graham less than an hour ago. No way. He's he in called Brazil? me. He, uh, I, he's in an undisclosed location. Oh, okay. But he specifically told me twice yeah. to make sure I said hello to you. Ah, beautiful. And and, and I'm actually going to take this opportunity. I listen to this music. It's To me, this is absolutely top shelf across the board. But... I'm hearing a special kind of musical relationship between Roy Haynes on drums and Andrew Hill on the piano. Between and Andrew and Roy, yeah. And we just mentioned uh, Graham Haynes. It's uh, Roy Haynes' son, um, who's my age. I also, always have an affinity for musicians I play with who are around my age. I won't say what that age is. <laughs> but Graham is, a, is an old and dear friend and great trumpet player. Mostly plays cornet, um, kind of in the in the coming out of Don Cherry, mm. who played cornet and pocket trumpet. But his father, the great, legendary, um, amazingly singular jazz drummer, Roy Haynes, is is still with us at the age of, I think he's 98, 90, something I, like that? Yeah, 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 right around there. He's right around there. Nine, maybe. But yeah, right around there. Anyway, he deserves to not play if he feels like not <laughs> at this point. But I know as of like a year or two ago, he was killing it at the Blue Note and uh, is ever inspiring. And he did have a, has had a really wonderful, crisp, um, very special style of drumming that I agree, uh, agree really fit Andrew Hill's style really well. I think of um, records like Black Fire. Mm-hmm. He's on that, and then played wonderfully on on Chikoria records too of, of yeah. that um, era. But anyway, I could talk more about that. This this looks really interesting, um, and I can only imagine how it sounds. <laughs> well, you um, you won't have to imagine much longer. You're listening to WKCR. The show's called Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. Very happy to have Peter Apfelbaum here with us tonight. We are focusing on Andrew Hill, and here's some music that. Even many of his greatest admirers have never heard it's a live broadcast from WNET-TV, February 11th, 1971. It's music from Andrew Hill on Deep Focus on WKCR Now. 
Yeah, this there is we it. Go.
music you've never heard from Andrew Hill, a recording television broadcast from 1971, February 11th, 1971, here in New York City, WNET. And we heard Andrew Hill on the piano with the rhythm section, Victor Sproles on the bass, Roy Haynes on the drums, Woody Shaw's trumpet up front with Carlos Garnett. The show's called Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman, and I'm here in the studio with Peter Apfelbaum, who has been cogitating and quelling and uh, grooving. And I'm curious what you're hearing in there, Peter. Yeah, well, Andrew, you know, um, for people who aren't um, familiar with Andrew, he was a pianist from Chicago um, who was kind of a child prodigy. He, he, from everything I had heard and learned about him, he started playing the piano very young, um, played Chopin, played classical music, and had a really good ear so he could pick up stuff he was hearing. And at that time, the dominant pianists would have been Teddy Wilson, Earl Hines, Art Tatum. Um, but when he, you know, and, and apparently he even played with Bird, with Charlie Parker, um, a little bit, and would play, play with, you know, more well-known musicians who came through town, came through Chicago. Um, and apparently it was, um, like many other young African-American um, kids on the South Side, um, he sold uh, newspapers. He sold the Chicago Defender, ah. which was a which was an important African American newspaper at that time. And apparently, he sold one to Paul Hindemith, the composer, and told Hindemith he was he was a composer. And I think he would have been around eleven or twelve years old. <laughs> wow. Um, and uh, I can relate to that part. Uh, <laughs> and, to some degree, um, but apparently um, he wrote a composition uh, right on the spot on a paper bag and gave it wow. to Hindemith, oh, wow. and Hindemith uh, invited him to hang out with him, and I guess he took some lessons with him just kind of informally, Hindemith being um, uh, one of the important uh, composers coming more out of the European uh, classical tradition, but who was very interested in very dense atonal music. Um, but responding just to this, um, and Andrew in general, um, one thing that I love about Andrew's playing is, um, and I think Mitch, you use this word elastic hmm. with the time. Um, and I think you also use the word offhand. I, I noted a few of those. Ah. <laughs> and I like both of those because Andrew's playing, um, to me is very, uh, unselfconscious. Mm. Um, and that also, I think, accounts for why um, his music can be difficult for some people. It it doesn't stop that often. When he's playing, you know, we're, we used to think of coming out of the jazz tradition, we're, we're thinking in terms of phrases a lot, mm. and that comes from vocals or songs that had lyrics. Um, and that's great, and somebody like... Miles Davis or even Coltrane with all the notes that he played were amazing examples of that. Andrew's way of playing um, is a little different. He tends to, um, dare I say, even ramble a little bit, but ramble not in the way of, not in the sense of uh, like what I'm doing right now, but <laughs> not in the sense of somebody that lacks focus. Um, he just had these long lines. His mm. ideas would just keep going. They'd keep snaking around. Um, and um, to use kind of a maybe a strange analogy from a different world, um, it's what people sometimes say about Jerry Garcia's playing. Mm -hmm. And that, but it's a different. It's a whole different thing. It's, this is just like I'm making that association because these are musicians where they get into it. And they're playing, and their ideas are long. Yeah, you know whether you like it or not. And Andrew, I think the thing that makes him um, more interesting than Jerry Garcia, and actually um, more interesting than um, a lot of other pianists who were coming out of that period in time, which um, you know had great pianists like Bud Powell. Um, who could do technically amazing things. Um, Art Tatum had basically raised the bar higher than it's... Nobody can ever <laughs> get that high in terms of what he was able to do. It's just outrageous. 
um, but both have musical validity. And then, of course, Thelonious Monk, who played in a generally in a more spare way, although you sometimes do hear uh, elements of Tatum, even and Teddy Wilson and Ellington. But um, Andrew had a remarkable way of being very expansive with time, and I think that's why he he um, he embraced the avant-garde. He was not ever totally um, thought of or, or didn't really, you know, dwell in the world of the so-called free jazz avant-garde um, music. Um, but he, um, his sense of time was so much more expansive. Like he showed um, that you could play sort of in the style of coming out of bebop and you could do a fast tune but that didn't mean you had to play fast. Yeah. When you come to your solo, you didn't have to do what a genius like Bud Powell or Charlie Parker would do, where they're able to spontaneously create something that uh, people could spend 100 years trying to write and never write something as great. And they were able to do it off the cuff because their grounding and their imagination um, and facility was so strong. But Andrew... Had did have this very off the cuff way, uh, very unselfconscious way of playing, um, where he would play. Sometimes it sounds like he's in a different tempo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the band on that one just that we just heard now. First of all, they're not just playing ding 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 ding, <laughs> ding, ding which would be fine. I mean, yeah. that makes you feel good and everything. There's nothing wrong with ding ding ding. But Roy's back there, bing, ding, 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 God, what do 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 Like he's really laying it down. Victor Sproles is like you pointed out. He's coming out of Richard Davis. You know, he's not not just going boom, 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 or even boom, boom, boom. He's like boom, boom, bing, ding, 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 So he's they're very active players, and the contrast with Andrew's playing, which is very not showoffy at all very um, kind of spare and sometimes his his technique I will say it, it compared to some of the people who play in a very refined way I guess you could say like coming out of Tatum like Oscar Peterson um, or uh, one of my dear old friends my homie Benny Green who yeah. is like the protege of Oscar um, those guys are just dealing with something that's just insane it's just <laughs> like technically so unforgiving and they do it with such grace um, but Andrew does a different thing where sometimes he almost sounds clumsy but then you realize it's intentional uh, that's, I said offhand I think I said something about like offhand but it sounds offhand but there's yeah. like an intention behind it yeah yeah like he'll play a, he'll play a, a right hand um, improvised line um, and then he'll kind of hit two notes at once, which you're not supposed to do. But then he'll do the line again, and he'll do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And you realize, oh, man, he's in just he's got some different stuff going on. The last thing that I'll say about this tune, which I find really swinging and powerful and very charming, is that um, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but you could almost re-listen uh, on the podcast. But that melody is so incredibly simple. It's almost hilarious that uh, somebody would take a virtuoso trumpet player like Woody Shaw and give him a melody that just goes ba 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 like it's so brilliant. It's just so brilliant. And other other musicians whose music that I love, who came along later, like Carla Bley. Um, well, she was kind of a contemporary of, of Andrew, um, who I also got to know, um, or Paul Motion, mm. um, or younger people who are closer to my age, or even younger Chris Speed. Um, these are people who are unafraid to take a very simple, to create a very simple melody. Um, whereas what happens when you strip away all the it's up to the players to make it interesting. The melody itself is not interesting per se but the melody is um just incredibly direct and simple and no frills and it's it takes all the stylistic trappings away and you just have the building blocks of music and some of those I, that's an interesting 
an apt comparison. I tend to think of Paul Motion and some of those folks being a little more angular. Like mm. he's Andrew's stuff. I don't know. It's something. There's not a lot of melody there, but it's still kind of captivating. Yeah. And the way he's laying back on the beat, and he's also he's got um, he's got some of that like Chicago bluesy swagger. Definitely. You don't necessarily associate that with, you know, the hard-blowing 60s kind of vibe that people associate him with, but it's right up front in this to me. Yeah. No, that's a great point. And he's and Chicago definitely has its great blues tradition. Um and what's what's beautiful about this too is you hear it is a very bluesy tune. You could you can hear that by you know, the intervals, the feel, certain other things that you get from it, but there are no cliches. No, no, definitely not. Yeah. Nobody's playing. I'm not even going to hum. <laughs> I even have my melodica with me, but I'm not going to play any cliches because I don't want to pollute people's ears. But somehow Andrew's able to convey this happy blues to yeah. me. You know, it's art, so we all could take from it what we take from it. But to me, it's a... It's kind of a happy, strident blues, but with this amazing simplicity and not even an iota of cliche. Yeah, yeah. And, he, you know, it's funny. People talk about, like, one of the other artists we were talking about building up to this, like Dexter Gordon, somebody might say, like, well, he only he can only he can just play one note. Yeah. And he'll come in in a way you'll know exactly who it is. And, you know, people talk about that and or guitar players. You don't usually hear people talk about pianist that way but he could actually do that he kind of didn't need a lot to sketch a picture for you well that's that's very true and you know i could tell when i first met andrew that economy in artistic expression was something that he valued and one way that i um came to realize that was i was actually playing with some students at this, um, I guess you could say jam session, but we weren't doing tunes or anything like that. It was more um, back in the days where students that were excited to meet each other and be at this new situation, um, like a jazz workshop, would just get together and improvise. I don't know, do people still do that? (laughs) (laughs) But we did that, and that's what we did back home, me and Stephen and Tony Jones and, and, um, you know, we were following groups like the Art Ensemble of Chicago, um, groups that had a heavy component of improvisation. So we we did that, but I remember Andrew was there. Um, it was a memorable experience because I went to this session. I remember there was a percussionist who I had just met, Bambafumi Okonian, really wonderful um, percussionist who was part of Olatunji's troupe. Uh, yeah. But he was also around my age. He was a little older, so he was like, the first guy that I looked looked up to who kind of got me into African percussion, djembe and talking drum and bell patterns and things like that. Sadly, he's no longer with us, but he was somebody that became kind of a big brother to me. He was there, and I don't really remember who else was, um, but there would there would have been about, I guess, I don't know, between eight and ten of us playing in this room at Bennington College. And Andrew was there, and he was just hanging out, sitting there, checking us out, and we played for... I don't know, it could have been anywhere between 10 or 15 minutes to a half hour. Um, And I had my horn, but I didn't take my horn out. I just brought a little bell. And I had a bell and a stick. And it was one of those ringing bells, not like a cowbell, but like a very ringing little bell. And I just was listening to what people were doing and just kind of checking it all out. And I wanted to get my horn out. But there was just a lot going on. I didn't really feel like it needed a horn. So I hit the bell once, and then the music kept going. And at the very end, I remember it just had a... Somebody ended it in a really nice way, and I thought, okay, we need the bell again. (laughs) So I hit the bell, and that's all I did in the session. Um, And actually, I was kind of proud of myself. I thought, you know, I really wanted to play the saxophone, but there was all this other stuff going on. To me, the best contribution I could make and mind you we were all you know or I was um, you know taking guidance from musicians who would who would be uh, judicious 
about what they would do in a group situation, group improvisation. And I just remember Andrew came over and he walked past the other people and he came over to me and just had a big smile and put his hand on my shoulder. <laughs> it was like, sighed. <laughs> well, that, that took a lot of maturity for a teenager. Thank you. That's remarkable, I, I think, really. Yeah, thank you. Well, I, you know, I've prided myself uh, as the years go by in, um, in, in just trying to find the right sound to make. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. The show's called Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. Very pleased having Peter Apfelbaum here in the studio with me. And we are focusing on the music of Andrew Hill. And we've got some really, truly remarkable live unreleased recordings. I'm still amazed that we came up with this stuff for you. And delighted. hope you're enjoying it as much as Peter and I are. And um, should we move ahead to this next set? Let's do it. Yeah. This, um, what we just played, by the way, one thing I didn't say about that, uh, we do have the titles. It was one called Grassroots was that first one with that melody that you were talking about. And Bayou Red is what they moved to. And uh, that was in 71 here in New York City. This next one is the following year, 72. It's a trio date. It's at Antioch College in Yellow Springs, Ohio. And once again, we've got Roy Haynes on drums, and he's even more present, I will say, in this recording and in this trio format, and an unknown bassist. But, hey, we've got, uh, and, and we've got a little bit more uh, music from this set, so we'll, we're going to dive into that. Peter, you've got, when we come back, I want to ask you, you've got some gigs coming up and some opportunities for people in the New York area to hear you. I do. So we're going to talk about that. Great. And uh, <clears throat> should we, anything you want to say going into this Yellow Springs date? Only that I would venture that the bass player may be Chris White. <clears throat> Chris White was playing a lot with Andrew um, at that time uh, in the early and mid-70s, but um, I'll have to hear it. All he right. might have been on the road with Dizzy Gillespie, so maybe not Chris White. I don't know. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. Looking forward. All right, here we go. See if I can get make this happen for us.
It's a deep focus from January 8th, 2024. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. Oh, man, what a delight having Peter Applebaum in the studio. Do not miss an opportunity to hear Peter and get any of his music. A little later in the show, you'll hear him talk about where his stuff's available to be downloaded, but you can go and seek it. Seek it out, and definitely don't miss him when he comes to your town. And, hey, big thanks to you. If you are one of the people who subscribed to Deep Focus, podcasts available on your favorite podcasting app. We're on Apple and Google and Spotify and pretty much any of the other places you'd go looking for it. It makes such a difference. It's not that big a deal, really, on our end. certainly don't cost you nothing, but... Uh, the reason we love when you do that, or if you give us five stars or whatever you do, it helps people who don't know about the show and might be interested in it to find it. That we like. We like sharing the good stuff. So you really helped us do that if you're one of those people. All right. So this was part one. There's three parts. I'll see you over at part two. <laughs>